Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. For Samuel chapter 30, this is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me, t- bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, pursue For you will surely overtake them and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor remained behind. Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he ate and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins, and he ate. Then his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites, and on that which belongs to Judah, and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned, burned Ziklag with fire. Then David said to him, will you bring me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle which the people drove ahead of the other livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. When David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, who had also been left at the brook Bezor, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him, then David approached the people and greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart." And David said, you must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. 
who has kept us and delivered into our hand the band that came against us? And who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. So it has been from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah to to his friends, saying, Behold, a gift for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord, to those who are in Bethel, to those who are in Ramoth of the Negev, and to those who are in Jatir, to those who are in Aror, and to those who are in Sifmoth, to those who are in Eshtemoah, and to those who are in Recall, and to those who are in the cities of the Jeremielites, and to those who are in the cities of the Kenites, and to those who are in Hormah, and to those who are in Bor Ashen, and to those who are in Athak, and to those who are in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Be seated. Okay, let's begin with some reviews. We come to 1 Samuel chapter 30. You remember in the previous chapter that we looked at, short short chapter verse or uh, chapter 29 that the Philistines or David is among the Philistines and and they're going into battle against Judah and the the Philistine lords say no we don't want David with us he'll turn against us in the battle uh David's in a in his, is in a hard spot having to uh go against Israel and and also um you know, being being under pressure from from the Philistines, and and yet God gets him out of that spot. He remains loyal to Saul and loyal to God in in his in his uh, in his work. And David, so David left uh, as the Philistines were were mustering together to uh, go against Judah. And David left and went back to the city that he had inhabited with his men, Ziklag, and he finds that, he finds that terrible. Terrible things have occurred in Ziklag. And so this is the situation. While he was away, the Amalekites had attacked Ziklag, burned Ziklag with fire. They took captive all the women, all the children, old and young, everybody from the city. All of the spoils they uh, ran away with, all of the goods, all of the animals. But they didn't kill anyone. They took everybody away. Now, the reason they probably didn't kill anybody is because the men were away. Those who would fight were away, and the women and the children and the old and the young were left behind to fend for themselves. And so they, um, <clears throat> that's what David arrives home to. He arrives home to an, to an empty home. He arrives home to, uh, to everything everything precious to all of his men being uh, stolen away. And how do they respond? What is their response? Their first response is what you might expect is weeping. Weep. They see what's happened and they cry, they, they weep, they cry out to the Lord, they're distressed Right, and it says they lift up their voices. What does it mean to lift up your voice? It's a weird, weird turn of phrase that maybe we don't think about enough. But to lift up your voice, what does that mean? A plea. 
Okay, a plea to God. Yeah, what are you lifting up your voice to? You're lifting it up to God that he might hear it. You're crying out that he might hear. So they're lifting up their voices and weeping. And how long do they weep? They weep until they have no strength left. They weep until they are fatigued from weeping. And then, and then so that's their first response, is this grief. Response of grief, understandable. They, they likely think that, every, that everyone's dead, though they see nobody there. Second, what's their second response? They say, let's stone David. And that, that's the burden of leadership, isn't it? That's the burden of responsibility, is even when it's not your fault, you're blamed for it, right? And so here, David, David, um, <clears throat> David is, uh, is just like Moses before him, right? Moses had the people rising up against him, though this was God's will for them to be out in uh, coming into the, the promised land, and, and yet, uh, you know, they complain that they don't have food and water, and they rise up in rebellion against whom? Against Moses, right? And, and like, just like Jesus after him, right? David is just like Jesus after him, where, where the, you know, the, he, he takes on um, he's a prophet, right? And he's not, uh, he's not welcome even in his own hometown. And so this is, this is what responsibility um, often looks like. The, um, what, are they, what does it say about the people? They were what against David? Embittered against David. Right? Their attitude toward David changed when they had these losses. And then what does David do? Now, there are a lot of responses. Um, to the complaints of the people, Moses at one time responded poorly. Right? He struck the rock when, when he and, um, called the people rebels. And that was why <clears throat> Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land um, by the Lord. <clears throat> but David responds in this, and notice in what it says that uh, at the end of verse 6, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, what does this mean? How does he do this? How does he do this? Praying, perhaps? Why did he need it? I mean, what's going on here? It's one, it's, it seems insignificant, one little mention here, David strengthened himself in the Lord, but um, we're thinking about, what, what, uh, how do you strengthen yourself? Do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Do you recognize that you need strengthening in that Lord at times? Yes, of course we recognize it, but do we, do, but do we avail ourselves of the means that God has given us to strengthen ourselves? So what does this mean? What, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Read God's Word. Remember His promises. Remember the ways He's delivered you. Right? That's what, that's what David 
David has many things he can remember, many, many ways in which God has delivered him from the hand of Saul. Right? How else? Okay, so whatever he did, he did fast because everybody's gone. Yeah, he, he's strengthening himself on a regular basis, so he's able, he, he's, he's able to, he, he's close to the Lord. He's able to tank up in a hurry. He, he refuels in flight, right? He's what? He's anointed, right? He's anointed. Um, I mean, how, how, do you, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? How do you do it? Fellowship with other believers. Okay, thank you for mentioning some corporate things rather than just individual things. We often think of the individual, prayer, reading of God's Word, and those are means of grace, right? Those are means of building us up. I'm not bashing them. But those are this, the tip of the iceberg of the ways in which God calls us to find strength in Him, right? Um, all of His ordinances, all of God's ordinances are means of strengthening, um, especially the word, especially the sacraments, especially prayer. That's the language of the confession, right? What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation? You know, but it, but it goes beyond personal pursuits to corporate, to accountability, to corporate worship, to singing praises to God, right? To re- giving thanks, to remembering um, what he's done, to various ministries, to prayer meetings, to fellowship, all of those things. And you need strengthening, right? You need strengthening. Cut yourself off from those means and you'll be weak. Cut yourself off from the means that God gives to us and we're weak. We become weak. Just an aside on on strengthening. But but David here likely is, um, I I mean, think of it. Think Think of his distress. He's lost his whole family. They've been dragged away, and all the people are against him in this city where he's been king, right? And all the people are against him, and where does he go? Well, I'd go, I'd go have a, I'd be feeling very sorry for myself, you know? I'd probably, I'd probably go to McDonald's and get a shake and fries and just think about how bad life is, right? Whatever you go, you know, get a Frosty. But that's what we do, right? We turn inward when stressful things come. Rather than outward like David does here. What does he do? He goes to the Lord. He strengthened himself in God. He remembers the promises. He remembers the anointing. He remembers that God is God, right? And so he avails himself of that. And then he, he goes further Right? We find out how he strengthens himself in the Lord in some sense and what comes next. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, remember Abiathar is with him, son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. The ephod has been, that priestly ephod has been with David uh, during this time. And 
And David inquires of the Lord and asks him point blank, shall I pursue this band? Should I overtake them? Right? That's, that's called directed prayer. Should, should I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answers him swiftly. Pursue, for you will surely overtake them and will surely rescue all. What a promise there, right? You're going to rescue everybody. Before you even see the enemy, he's been assured that he will rescue all. So David goes. He, he uh, takes his 600 men with him. They came to this brook. And uh, remember that they had, they had just traveled from wherever they were with the Philistines to here. They realize this. They weep till they have no strength. They um, ask God what to do. And God says, you know, go pursue them. And so they're tired when they begin. And yet they have to pursue. So David went, his 600 men. He pursued, he and 400 men. And you start, you know, whenever an army gets pared down for battle, you think of the, the Gideon and everything being pared down so that God might get the glory in the battle. And so here David is being pared down. Who doesn't go with him? 200 who are what? Tired. They're tired. They stay behind. You know, David's going to be angry at these guys, isn't he? These lazy men who won't go and rescue the, the women and the children. Well, we'll see. No, he's not. So providentially, they, they come across, <clears throat> they come across the, this Egyptian. And the Egyptian, by God's providence, had been a servant in one of the households of the Amalekites. And by coincidence, got sick and was left behind, right? No, by God's providence, got sick, was left behind so that he could tell David and the 400 men what they were getting themselves into. And so um, they revive him. They, give, they have mercy upon him, first of all, right? They show him great mercy. He hasn't eaten for three days, three nights. They give him food. They give him water. He's revived. And then David begins to question him. And get, uh, get these answers uh, that, of what, what the Amalekites have done. And then David asks him, bring me down to this band. And then he, he, like a wise man, negotiates for his life. Right? Don't kill me. Don't hand me over. And um, don't deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will bring you down to this band. And so um, he's, uh, he's making uh, plans for himself. David then does what? Brings them down. They're spread over all the lands. They're having a party. They're eating. They're drinking. They're dancing because of all the stuff that they got. All the spoils that they had taken from Ziklag. Women, children, money, livestock, whatever, whatever the people had. And David does what? He slaughters them from, from twilight until the evening of the next day. Right? So he just begins slaughtering the Amalekites. He slaughters them. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 who had vehicles to get away quick. Right? They had uh, camels to uh, flee from the scene. And so they were able to get away, but everybody else was slaughtered. And so David 
It says in verse 18, recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives, but nothing of theirs was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves, David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle which the people drove ahead of the other livestock and they said, this is David's spoil. Now, we've, we've dealt with the, the Amalekites before, haven't we? We keep coming back to the Amalekites. What, what's, what, what's happened with the Amalekites previously? Yes, yeah, Saul was given a command by God to, to destroy the Amalekites. He refused, and he was also told to not take any of the spoil from the Amalekites, but it should be all devoted to the ban. It should be all destroyed, right? He wasn't to do that. And so not only did Saul rebel in not destroying the Amalekites, but he also took from the spoil, and then he made that, made that uh, excuse up that he was going to make offerings to the Lord, right? But that's when Samuel comes and says that obedience is better than sacrifice. So anything else come up with the Amalekites? What's that? No, um, Saul didn't kill... Agag, but Samuel did, right? And so now we see that David is given the opportunity that Saul missed on. But he doesn't have a command from the Lord, right? He doesn't have a command to devote everything to the ban. That's why we see him, see him take from the spoils, and it's, it's legitimate for him to take from the spoils because um, there has been no corresponding command. And yet we see David in this conflict, and David and his his people suffering because of Saul's lack of fulfillment of the commands of God. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's essentially re retaking the land in a way. And uh, the parts that were unconquered previously, he's, he's conquering. And so we see him as a, as a sort of new Moses. But um, David slaughters them from twilight to the evening the next day. 400 get, get away. What do they receive back? Everything, everyone, and more. All the spoil. Now the spoils is the focus of what's next. And I think... I think there's conversation of this, one, because of the significance of the spoils of the Amalekites before when Saul didn't deal with them well, and now when David deals with them differently, right? So we have these 400, we have now a faction, we have the 400 and the 200, and within the 400 are some worthless men, right? Remember that David... David gathered around himself all those who had been disgruntled in the kingdom, right? And they came to him when he was hiding in the cave from Saul, and they were all... um, And so there were some... uh, These were hard men to lead, uh, no doubt. And so we see some of that here. When David comes to the 200 who were too exhausted to follow, 
They had been left behind. David goes out to meet the people who were with him. Then David approached the people and greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David said, they didn't go with us. They don't deserve any of the spoil. And so we see the kind of character they have. We see that uh, they are concerned for their own Uh, for their own gain here. Don't give them anything except they can have their wife and children back. Wives and their children. Then, then they can get out of Dodge. They can leave, right? They're, 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 the worthless and wicked men were calling the 200 worthless and wicked, right? Trying, trying to have someone else uh, that outdoes them in their wickedness. And so, Now, this is leadership. How does David show that he is fit to be king? How does David show that he's fit to be king and how he responds? He's more than fair. I mean, we would say that it was probably fair that they don't get spoils or that they get less spoils. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but they may have taken some more, you know. They may have taken the livestock and whatever the Amalekites had taken themselves. They may have taken the spoils from them. But yeah. He leads by teaching and persuading, okay? He does teach them. He, uh, he, he, he teaches them. Um, yeah, he says in 24, And who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike, right? He says, you shouldn't do this, brothers. This is not right. Um, this is not the time to divide in, in the camp. Okay? Absolutely, right? Okay. And again, he has a faithful perspective, right? He realizes that this deliverance that they've been given has come from the hand of the Lord. It's not something that they did in themselves, even though they were the ones who were stained in blood and fatigued and wounded, right? But they see, realize that because of it, that they received everybody back. Clearly, the hand of the Lord was upon them, giving them this victory. So yes, that shows leadership too. His mind is focused upon... God's sovereign will. Anything else stand out to you? He resists the majority. He resists the majority. Right? It is so tempting when you're in a position of leadership just to go along with the majority. We despise this in our presidents, right? Take a poll. Whatever the poll says to the majority, we go there, right? No principle, just all like politics. Right, but, but David resists, resists the 400 and protects the 200. Or he resists the wicked among the 400. But no doubt there were many in that 400 who were happy to go along with the, the plans of the, of the wicked men in there. And he protects the 200. And that's, that, is not, uh, that is not to be overlooked. He resists the majority. Um, he, he, is, he will be on the Lord's side, right? Yes, he looks to God. He, he protects the little man. Right? He commends the little man. He commends those who are too 
too uh, tired to go into battle. He protects them and looks out for their interests. And then he also enshrines in policy for the future this principle that when we go into battle, those who stay behind with the baggage, and really that it's not as if... uh, it's not as if they didn't do anything. To stay behind with the baggage is, is basically to be in the supply line. Okay, it's those who, who may not be in the battle, but they're making sure those who are in the battle get what they need. And so they're staying back. Baggage, we, we, ha- we think of like suitcases. But this is like, this is, uh, this is supplies, right? That'd be a better way to think of it. And so, but, but, but here he is thinking to the future and he's putting in place this policy so that in battles in the future, the, the wicked men don't make this claim, right? And they know that the spoils are going to go to everybody. Um, that's, that's the good of the law, isn't it? To know what God has for us and what God desires of us is is how we fight against our temptations. That's the good of the law. So he makes a law here, and that will have um, noetic effects upon the people. It will restrain sin. All right. Any other comments on how David was, was a, a godly leader? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he he knows he knows that we're but dust and and that um he's wise enough also to make uh he's wise enough also to be realistic, right? 200 men are tired. Are they going to be helpful in the battle? No, they're probably going to be unhelpful. And lead to casualties, lead to whatever. And so he's, he's wise enough to say no, keep them back, and then to protect them from the worthless and wicked men. Finally, in the book, we see that David sends gifts to the elders of Judah. Now, this is, this is interesting. David, um, one of the commentaries said, David won the battle, plundered his enemies, and gave gifts In this, he foreshadowed Jesus, who won the victory at the cross, plundered the strong man's house, and distributed gifts to his church, preeminently the gifts of the Spirit. And so we here here see David acting in a way that later Christ would do times a thousand, right? And that's what we often see in David. We see see a a, a type in David. And so um, David wins this battle. And not only does he say, okay, the men among the baggage, but he takes some of what they've gotten and he spreads the gifts among the cities of Judah. Now, there's, there's all kinds of political reasons to do that as well. Um, but these, these are going out to his friends and supply, supplying those cities who are facing the Philistines. Right? And so here he is acting as a, as a, as a um, provider, acting in a Christ-like manner. Um, I mean, just think of the work of Jesus. The, Jesus' work far surpasses the work of King David. And King Jesus is your king. Right? He is your king. He, he, um, 
you are members of his kingdom, you are members of his church, you are members of his household, and those are all eternal things, right? He has plundered the strong man, he has gained the victory, he has, he has um, uh, bruised the head of the serpent, right? And, and so now you are given the gifts of what he won. Right? You're given the gifts of what he won. That's what David's doing here. He's giving gifts of what he, he took, what he won. No strong man beats omnipotence. Think of that when it comes to Jesus. No strong man beats omnipotence. Omnipotence. All power. Um, no strong man. And we, and we, as you know, are more than conquerors in Christ. More than conquerors. Now, one last thing as we think through this passage I think one of the, I mean, I don't think, it's so obvious you don't even have to think about it. One of the, one of the points of 1 Samuel is to contrast a wicked king and a, a God, godly king, right? And in this chapter, what are some of the contrasts that we see between Saul and David? What are some of the contrasts? David goes to God, so did Saul. But but God talks to him. Saul receives no message from the Lord, right? Remember just a few chapters back and he goes and consults a witch instead. Okay? He goes to the palm reader um, over on uh, 290, Right? Drive by it every time, and I always ask my, my sons when we're going to karate if they want to stop and get their palm read. And I'm always like, Dad, it's wicked. And it is wicked. I'm just testing them, okay? Um, it's wicked. It's not only wicked, it's stupid. Um, but it is wicked. It is dealing with um, ignorance that passes itself off as knowledge. But, but the point of all of that is, is Dave, uh, Saul goes to speak with God and God does not give an answer. David here goes to God and gets a swift answer from God. So that's one huge thing that we can draw uh, many lessons from. What else? Okay. Okay. How about Saul? Right. He does it when he wants to. And in his own means and beyond the means of what God has laid out in his word. Right. That's right. That's right. Though the temptation would have been to say, we need all of you along. Right. Yeah, the, the law gives exceptions for, for those who don't go into uh, to warfare. And, uh, and so here is David following those commands. Uh, what else? Exactly. Saul, remember when the, when the armies are fatigued, he says, we're going to fast. And then Jonathan dips his his uh, 
his staff into the honey and takes a bite, and then Saul's all put out of shape about that and wants to kill his own son. And the people intercede for him and save his son. But yeah, here, here you know, Saul was, was merciless, and um, David is showing mercy. Huge contrast. The contrast between wicked king and a Christ-like king. What else? How does that, how do we put that, I mean, does that, we don't have that problem, right? I mean, do, do we, do we glory, do we uh, try to, Pat, do we try to build up our own glory? How do, then how do we, how, uh, how are we Christ-like and how do we fight that? What do we do? What is, I mean, or how, how do we try to, I'm just trying to think of this practically. How in this past week did you think about your own glory rather than God's glory? How did you do that? Did that happen to you? Were you conscious of ever trying to do that? That's right. Yeah, he acknowledged right. He acknowledges that he acknowledges God's work in the work that he just did. That's right. Okay. And lord it over others. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's helpful. One last thing that occurs to me is also this. You remember when Samuel says that He's, the people are calling for a king. And Samuel says that the king is going to take from you. The king is not going to give to you. The king will take from you, right? He'll make your children his servants. He will, he will, uh, he, he will take. And um, we see here David giving gifts to the people, right? And that, that is Christ-like, right? Jesus empties himself so that we might be filled up with all the fullness of God, right? Jesus gives up the glory that he had with his Father so that we might share in that glory, right? Jesus is constantly um, humbling himself so that we might gain. And um, Saul is constantly rising up so that he might gain himself, but but the people might diminish. But here's David 
being Christ-like and giving gifts. He, he establishes, he, and Saul's, Saul's reign is about to come to an end, and he's establishing his kingdom by giving, which contrasts him to Saul, who established his kingdom by taking, right? By being that king that was warned about by Samuel. And so here's David setting himself in contrast to Saul, simply by this going through the land and giving gifts. And so we praise, um, we, we praise the Lord for uh, the, the multitude of ways in which we receive because of the work of Christ, our King. Anything else? Any other thoughts on this passage? We're, we're getting close to Saul, Saul's end here. Um, things have gone from, from bad to worse and then finally to the worst. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yep. Yep. That's like a meal with dessert, right? It went over the top. And so, yeah, exactly. He's showing mercy to this Egyptian. One, likely because he, he's, um, he's showing compassion, but also he wants information um, from him as well. So that's a good point. Anything else? Any other thoughts before I close in prayer? Yeah, Ed. That's right. Last thing to think about also is that during this time, that is when Saul is dying. These, these things overlap here. And so David is, or Saul is off dealing with the Philistines, and it's during the battle with the Philistines where Saul takes his own life, right? And David is here doing this. Um, the, the time periods overlap here. And so Chapter 31 um, will be the same time period. So you just think about David. David is rising up and he's given gifts. And Saul is being crushed and, and taking his own life. Um, the, the, the end of the righteous and the wicked exemplified in those two things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for feeding us and for reminding us of the work of your son, Jesus. Lord, the king of kings, a, a perfect king, a king who never, who never strayed from the path of your law, a king who, who has not lost one of his children. Father, a king who has given us rem, un, just remarkable gifts, the gift of eternal life, the gift of the forgiveness of sins, far beyond... Uh, a gift of animals or a cake of figs. And so we praise you, Father, 
for providing us your Son. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.